Another section underway of a Tim's Takeaway. This is going to be on cardiac arrest. We're just going to provide a nice little brief overview of uh, cardiac arrest and some things that you might need to remember. This is not everything that is all-inclusive. Um, maybe someday we'll do something that is even longer than uh, this session will be in relationship to cardiac arrest. So let's dive into this. First off, cardiac arrest is the cessation of any cardiac activity. And this means that it could be electrical, meaning from the standpoint of the electrical conduction system in the heart, or it can be mechanical, which means that there is no pumping action, or it can truly mean that it is both. And the only way that you can identify an individual who's in cardiac arrest is by the uh, absence of a carotid pulse. Now, we've been doing CPR um, with uh, CPR and, ex and external cardiac defibrillation since the 1960s. And since that time, we have come a long way, including the fact that we now utilize automated external defibrillators, which uh, really is nothing more than a little computer that uh, is analyzing the electrical signals from inside the heart. So it identifies whether or not there is a ventricular fibrillation um, or a ventricular tachycardia. And if it identifies those two rhythms, one of those two rhythms, it uh, advises that a shock needs to be administered and it um, advises the user to go ahead and press the button as needed. Now, AEDs come in a lot of different models. I, I usually refer to them as being like cars. So some of them are going to require more interaction, you know, not just applying the pads and turning on the machine, but um, they may also have to analyze, press the button, there's some other things to do. Rule number one in all AEDs is to turn it on. That is the universal rule is to, number one, turn it on. Then you would apply the pads, you would plug in the connector, and then you would go through either pressing the analyze or you would allow it once it's plugged in um, to go ahead through its analyze phase. You know, decide whether or not it needs to deliver a shock. You know, they're great to utilize, they're easy to operate. Um, actually, I think part of the biggest issue with them is, is that they probably are too easy to operate and we usually run into a little bit of a problem with that. But there's some other things that we need to make sure that we consider is that um, not all patients in a cardiac arrest are going to require electrical shock, or you'll hear people refer to it as counter shock therapy. So that means that just because um, patients are analyzed as an AED and they're not going to have a shockable rhythm, could be one of two reasons. One, it's asystole, which means it's a flat line, and there is no electrical activity whatsoever when we heard about that in the cardiovascular section. There's another thing, though, that is called pulseless electrical activity. And pulseless electrical activity is also known as PEA, uh, refers to the state of cardiac arrest that exists despite there being some type of electrical complexes that are actually going on inside the heart. Now, early defibrillation becomes essential for these things. We need to make sure that with during early defibrillation, um, patients experiencing cardiac arrest, that they're receiving CPR. In addition to receiving CPR, they're also then going to have early defibrillation that occurs. This means that we need to take a look at the links in the chain of survival. 
early recognition, early notification, early CPR, early AED, early ALS, early transport to a definitive care hospital. So we know that defibrillation works best if it occurs within a few minutes of the onset of cardiac arrest. But to do this, we must rely on more non-traditional means of first responders or people acting as first responders to be able to do something. Um, so, Sorry, I can't search the web on... So, one, yeah, I guess Siri decided to speak up here. Um, so one of the things that we look at is the final step in that whole chain of survival is looking at um, ALS and post-cardiac arrest care. So with ALS and post-cardiac arrest care, we want to make sure that we're continuing to ventilate. BLS skill, not a problem. Ventilating them about 10 to 12 breaths a minute, we're looking to achieve um, an end tidal CO2. So if you have uh, the, the ALS provider has an end tidal CO2 or a capnography reading on the end of the endotracheal tube, that we achieve that and make it between 35 and 45 is the um, or the numbers that we're taking a look at. It's considered to be normal. We want to maintain an oxygen saturation between 94 and 99%. If we go over 100, we hit 100%, we pretty much peg out our, our monitor, um, so we can't read anything over that. We also want to make sure that we have a blood pressure that is at least 90 systolic. We're going to um, see whether or not we need to check a blood glucose level. And... Uh, They'll need to be treated as appropriate after that. And um, they're also going to need some cardiopulmonary and neurological support once they get to the hospital. Um, so when you integrate AED into CPR, it's really important to make sure that the AED is worked in with CPR. We do not want to interrupt CPR for more than 10 seconds. So therefore, it does require some practice of utilizing the AED and working around with two people um, during a cardiac arrest to make sure that we're not interrupting chest compressions for longer than that. So you don't want to touch the patient during the analyze phase because it may actually um, cause any type of disruption. It may not be able to identify what's going on. Additionally, you don't want to touch the patient while it is delivering a shock. Not a good thing. So you need to make sure that during the analyze phase, you're clearing everybody away. Nobody should touch the patient. And then um, while it's charging, if it's necessary, you can do CPR. And then when it's time to defibrillate, you need to make sure that you get everybody out of the way and then go ahead and press the button. So it is also important to make sure that any AED that you have um, is maintained. And you need to become familiar with what you are going to be able to utilize. Again, there's many brands that are out there. Um, and you need to be familiar with those. Make sure that you read through the operating manual. And some of the issues that we do run into include that batteries die, people do not check the pads to see that they do expire. Um, so you need to make sure that they're checked frequently um, according to manufacturer's recommendations and usually at least once a month for the battery, if not more frequently. Um, medical direction is also going to have to um, advise you or, or provide you with a um, information on making sure that you can utilize the AED properly. Um, because when we use the AED, we uh, have to keep in mind that, you know, they're helping advise us as to the best medical treatment that we can um, provide to our patients is under truly under their license. So anyway, 
Um, when you start taking a look at um, how we handle people in cardiac arrest, and particularly when you're using an AED, first off, you do not defibrillate patients in pools of water. Okay, so not a good thing. However, if they are soaking wet um, or they are lying in a little bit of snow, something like that, it's okay. But you also want to make sure that you can dry them off as quickly as possible, if at all possible. Um, don't defibrillate patients who are touching metal um, that other people are touching. That can become a problem as well. You want to make sure that you remove any type of nitroglycerin patch or any patch from the patient's chest and wipe that area with a dry towel before defibrillation. And it helps prevent any type of ignition um, from the heat source coming from the AD of that patch. If the individual has a hairy chest, um, it is advisable to go ahead and shave that chest prior to placing the place, placement of the pads onto the patient's chest. Um, I know uh, I will speak forward and say that the American Heart Association in their CPR video um, does mention, oh, you can use two pads and rip the hair off. That does not work. Um, not only that, when pads are pushing about $90 and a, and a razor um, is much, much cheaper, it makes sense to just place a towel in a razor or even a um, set of clippers inside of the AED. It makes much better sense. We want to make sure that we're also utilizing a um, good team approach. And using that team approach usually means that we like to do things such as uh, pit crew CPR, at least in Pennsylvania. That's, that's just one area of high quality CPR, utilizing high, um, high efficiency um, chest compressions. So one of the things that, uh, and that's where their main focus is. So one of the things that we do in our class is uh, we will discuss and provide you with an in-service on pit crew CPR um, to be compliant with the Pennsylvania Department of Health. And um, as a result of that, we will practice a little bit of that in class. However, um, because uh, we usually don't do that prior to any of your cardiology exams because we don't need to mix you up. But anyway, um, so if you have used the AED and... Uh, the pulse is regained, fantastic. You continue with the return of spontaneous circulation, which is ROSC, R-O-S-C. Um, we're going to talk about what we need to do with that. Uh, but if there is no pulse and the AED indicates that a shock is advised, fantastic. You go ahead and follow the prompts. Or there is no pulse and the AED indicates that a shock is, um, is not advised, then you just continue doing the CPR as necessary. Now, if ALS is responding to you, um, you, you can stay where you're at and continue the sequence of shocks and CPR, unless the protocol is going to tell you that you, you, know, you may need to move sooner. But if ALS is not responding to the scene, then you need to start identifying things. And some things that you need to consider, particularly for transport, would be, you know, if the patient regains a pulse, great, we need to get moving. But once you reach about six to nine shocks, um, you may find out that uh, we're probably not going to uh, essentially may not resuscitate this patient or we need to transport um, if you've gone a significant period of time where there have been three consecutive messages saying it's no shock advised and you're probably going to end up terminating efforts. So um, you do have some decisions to make. You know, we hope that they would all gain pulses back, but you know, six to nine shocks are delivered. You're probably looking to see whether or not you need transport or uh, you have three consecutive messages that are saying that you should not be shocking um, or it's not recommended, then you need to really consider whether or not termination of efforts need to occur. 
Now keep in mind a couple things when you're in a, handling a cardiac arrest during transport. If you're traveling to the hospital and a uh, patient's unconscious and then they become pulseless, you need to stop the vehicle. Um, that is becoming one of the biggest issues because then um, you need to then do CPR and if the AED is not immediately uh, available, then you go ahead and make sure that we get that on. We're going to analyze the rhythm and deliver our shock. The issue is, is that while we're transporting somebody, we need to make sure that we can move or stop the vehicle because the road is going to, or the street that you're on is going to create vibration and potentially cause us to defibrillate somebody who may not need it. So if you're transporting a patient who is awake um, and all of a sudden they were having chest pain and they've now become unresponsive, um, you need to check for a pulse and if you find out there's, hey, there's no pulse or even whatever, you should really stop the vehicle. Um, start CPR, get the AED applied, analyze the rhythm, deliver the shock, and resume CPR and then uh, begin your resuscitative efforts in transporting the patient to the hospital. And a lot of times you have to coordinate your response with, with ALS if they're coming to assist you. Once again, if we have a return to spontaneous circulation, also known as ROSC, R-O-S-C, you want to monitor for spontaneous respirations. If they're not breathing, we want to make sure that we're providing bag valve mask ventilation to them at 10 to 12 breaths a minute. That would come out to one breath every five to six seconds. And you make sure that there is oxygen applied. Uh, we want to maintain an oxygen saturation between 94 and 99%. Check the patient's blood pressure. Ideally, we would like it to be um, uh, greater than 90. And then you also want to see if they can follow any type of simple commands. You know, raise your right hand, uh, raise your left hand, raise a finger, something like that, so that they can, we can see whether or not they're doing anything. If ALS is not on scene or en route, then you need to begin transport to the closest appropriate facility um, so that you can get this patient um, taken care of and treated as appropriate. So with that, that concludes the cardiac arrest portion of cardiology for the EMT and for this part of Tim's takeaway. I think we'll probably see some more things of those in the future, but until then, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Oh, that was Casey Kasem a long time ago. See you later.